Welcome to Christian Fellowship Ministries. We are glad you joined us. This sermon series challenges us to check ourselves from the inside out. Listen as Pastor Lucas O'Neill explains. Uh, If I were to ask you to list, I don't know, let's just say top two or three or five things that turn people off most about Christianity. What are some of the things that would pop up in your head? Think of maybe people you've met, uh, that, oh, Christians are so, and then you fill in the blank. What are some, I'm just curious, what are some that you would take? Armando? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Okay, that's definitely a top one. Judgmental. Judgmental. That's a big one. Any other takers? Narrow-minded. Narrow-minded. Okay, that's true. Um, a lot of times when they're disappointed with Christianity, it's, it's a kind of a straw man argument. That's not really what Christianity is about, but it's their perceptions of it and their misconceptions. Those are good. In fact, a, a book came out called Unchristian, I think a couple years ago, uh, David Kinnam, Dave Kinnaman. And he lists uh, what, it, from his research, I guess it was surveys, focus groups. I'm not sure exactly how the research was done. Um, I think it was with the Barna Group. I'm not sure. But anyway, the book has chapters. And if you look at the table contents, it lists what the biggest problems, the issues are that people have with Christianity. And those are in there. Hypocrisy is in there. Um, uh, uh, a phobia of, of homosexuals is in there. Um, you know, oh, Christian. Oh, he's a Christian. Oh, he hates, he hates gay people. Um, things like that. I think that would fall in the misconception category. Um, Judgmentalism was in there. Judgmentalism is in there. And, uh, I mean, we can think of why that's the case. You know, hey, we're going to go to the bar. Oh, I don't go to bars. Hey, we're going to go watch this movie. I don't watch those kind of movies. You know, and they begin to think we're judgmental. In fact, we, we hate judgmentalism, right? And if somebody comes over your house and, and <laughs> they walk in there, it could be about anything. They're just like, oh, you use drapes? Okay, okay. What? What? Nothing. Nothing. You just clearly are drape people. Whatever, you know. And it could be so mundane, like that's really silly, right? But then it's gonna great. You know, you're gonna think, wow, what was their problem with the drapes? They're just so judgmental. They're so judgy, right? Um, we don't like feeling judged. And so, because we know that's what's going on out there, and everybody's labeling Christians as judgmental. On top of the fact that we hate, we don't want to be tagged that because we hate judgmentalism. We hate it when we're judgy with each other. And so we kind of groom a culture within the church that is anti-judging. But what I submit to you is that what Jesus taught is the opposite. You should judge. You should judge. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the very verse that people use to say we shouldn't judge. And show you how actually what Jesus is saying is that you should judge. All right, so let's go there. Matthew 6, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. He's still talking about this inside-out life. That if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to follow me because you're following me from the inside out. Not because you're trying to follow a set of rules. And in that same sermon, he comes to this topic of judging. And it's kind of strange. And it seems kind of straightforward until we look at it and and dig a little bit more. Uh, But here's what he says. Uh, Chapter 7, I'm sorry, I said 6. We're done with 6. It took a while, right? (laughs) 6, okay, 7. Chapter 7, 
verse 1. Here we go. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, if you just pause there for a second. Matthew 7, verse 1. Some people are looking at me like I'm in John or something. Are we good? Okay, wow, because that was three in one service. <laughs> I'm thinking like, this is weird. I need to get to Boston. Um, Matthew 7, chapter 7, the seventh chapter of Matthew, first book of the Bible, page 1068 in my Bible. Anyway, okay. <laughs> they like trying. All right, here we go. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay, so that right there, it looks like he's just saying, don't judge. Stop judging. And he's trying to teach these people how to not be like the Pharisees. And we know the Pharisees were real judgy, right? In fact, they were hypocritical, which isn't the same thing, but it's kind of the same family. Hypocrisy is kind of like the judgmentalism's ugly cousin. You know what I mean? It's the same deal. Um, and, and he's saying, don't, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the Pharisees. That's how we started the sermon. And then now we get to chapter 7. He's like, judge not that you be not judged. Right? But really, when you look at this a little closer, he's not giving an absolute. Never judge anyone ever for any reason. Never judge. Never. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there's a condition if you're going to judge someone. It's a caveat. It's a condition. It's a proviso, whatever you want to call it. There's like a parenthesis. If you're going to judge, here's the parenthetical statement. Here's the thing, the prerequisite. If you're going to judge, you need to make sure this is the case first, right? A condition. It's like a clause, right? If it was just absolute, don't judge, it would just say, do not judge. But it doesn't. It says, judge not that you be not judged. All right, so what's the measure? Here we go. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in other words, don't pull out a yardstick that you haven't held up to yourself first. Don't pull out a magnifying glass that you haven't gone through your closet with first. Don't pull out a fine-tooth comb that would get snagged in your own hair. Okay? I just, just don't, don't judge somebody with a judgment that you're not ready to be judged with. Don't use a measuring stick to measure someone else's life if that measuring stick would also expose how you're not measuring up. Right? That's, that's the proviso. That's the caveat. If you're going to judge somebody... You better not have the same issue going on in your life. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to judge that one. Or when that judgment comes to you, you're not going to pass the test. Okay? So he, right there we're saying, he's not saying never judge. He's saying there's a way to judge. Right? And that's a big difference. It's a big difference from saying, don't judge. Don't judge me. Never judge me. I'll never judge you. If we're going to be friends, we're not just not going to judge each other. Well, then you're not going to be Christian friends because Christian friends do judge each other, but they judge each other the right way. Right? That's the difference between us and the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were all concerned about rules. Here's all these rules, and you have to measure up to these rules, otherwise we're going to get you. You know, we're going to call you out in the synagogue and make you stand up in front of everybody and say, rule breaker. You know, when they wanted to stone the woman, the adulterous woman, and Jesus said, well, who's going to cast the first stone? Without sin. Who without sin is going to cast the first stone? Then nobody could cast it. Did Jesus go to her afterwards and say, he didn't do anything wrong? Stop sinning, he told her. <laughs> you know, in private after everyone else left, he's like, go and stop it. 
But his point to the Pharisees and the people that were gathering around with stones and rocks in their hands was, you all should be stoned. Right? All of us should be stoned. And so the Pharisees try to follow these external rules, but they didn't really care about people. They didn't care about holiness. They didn't care about what broke the heart of God or what, put you, what made God smile. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was the looks of Christianity. And Jesus is trying to smash that. He's saying, when you judge people, if you judge them like the Pharisees, you're not going to look at yourself first. You're just going to look at them. But if you're going to do this my way, you're going to look at yourself first. But what he doesn't say is, if you're going to do this my way, throw judgment out the window. That's not what he's saying. That's a bad road to go down. No judging whatsoever. That's a bad road to go down. So to look at, you know, this is really what Jesus is saying, that we should judge each other. It sounds like you're doing some backflips up there, Pastor. I don't know. It says judge not that you be not judged. It just sounds like I shouldn't be judging. Well, listen to the illustration he uses. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Here's verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? All right, so here you have two people. Both have an issue. Right? Both are blinded. One's got a speck, one's got a huge log sticking out. And the guy with the log sticking out of his eye is like, hey, you've got a speck in your eye. You've got a speck. You've got a speck. Right? And Jesus is saying, you've got this tree hanging out of your face. And it just seems like you shouldn't be the one to point out a little tiny sawdust speck in someone else's eye. So what's his solution? Just ignore everybody's specks. Ignore your speck. Ignore their speck. And everybody take care of their own specks and everyone's going to be fine. That's not what he says. Listen to what he says. Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First... Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As far as Jesus is concerned, the end game is still to get the speck out of your brother or your sister's eye. Right? Because that speck is bothering them. That speck is blinding them. That speck is stumbling them. And you want to get that speck out of their eye. It's just that you can't do it if a tree is hanging out of your face. You can't do it. You have to remove the log from your own eye, so then you can see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye or your sister's eye. So it's a two-step deal. He's saying don't skip step one and, do just skip and just do part two. That's judgmentalism. That's hypocrisy. Do step one first. Take care of your stuff. When your stuff is taken care of, then you can see to help the person that needs help. Right? Um, I've used this before, but um, in a few hours, I'll get on an airplane, and I'm going to sit there, in the stuffy cabin with everyone coughing around me. And um, a flight attendant is going to stand up there. Well, two flight attendants. One's going to do the talking and one's going to do the charades. Right? And then the one talking is going to crack a couple really kind of corny jokes because they're trying to break the monotony of the same words that we hear every time we board a flight. It's... uh, the words that give us caution if something were to happen, what you're supposed to do, right? Check your exits. If you're sitting in exit aisle and you don't want to be sitting in exit aisle and you're not able or willing to help people, exit the, almost said the vehicle, <laughs> exit the plane, uh, then contact the flight attendant and they'll switch you, blah, blah, blah. The, the seat under you turns into a floating device. The pillow turns into a parachute. 
there's all kinds of stuff, uh, float on the person next to you, all these things that they, they tell us, right? And at one point, she's going to pull out the one doing the charades, not the one doing the talking, is going to pull out this little yellow cup that dangles from a string that's got a little oxygen bag on it, right? And she's going to show you it falls from here if, or, if, or here. <laughs> these little panels pop out if we're having problems on the plane. The oxygen's not kicking in. We're too high of an altitude for you to breathe normally on your own. So these little Dixie cup things are going to fall out of the ceiling, right? What do you do with these things? Well, you take the elastic band, wrap it around your face, and make yourself look like a duck. You know, just put that yellow thing right there, and then that little bag is going to go, you know, go in and out, and you should be able to breathe a lot better with this thing on your face. If you're sitting next to someone that can't help themselves, you're sitting next to a child that can't reach it when it's dangling. You're sitting next to an elderly person who is, you know, freaking out or whatever. There, there's some, something is happening. This person next to you is not able to get that cup and put it on their own face. What should you do? What should you do? Help them, okay? Before you help them, what do they tell you to do? Put yours first, right? I mean, I've been riding planes for a long time, and I really should have these speeches memorized. Uh, but I remember thinking when I was a kid, man, that's kind of selfish. I know you're suffocating, but excuse me. <clears throat> does, this, does this look good? Is this square? Because I broke my nose. <laughs> man, put it on that person first. They're obviously less capable. They're obviously, you know, if it's a child... They might run out of air sooner than I would. They need air worse than I do. What if the person's an asthmatic and they're going, and that's why they can't reach it? Excuse me while I accommodate myself first. That just doesn't make sense. Until you realize the reason why is because as you're trying to help them, you suffocate. Now you've got two people that are going to have real serious problems. In fact, if I'm having a hard time drawing breath, I'm not going to be able to help them. And so it's actually not a selfish thing to put the mask on first. It's actually the wise thing to put the mask on first, the loving thing to put the mask on first, so that you can then see clearly to make sure that they get their mask on. To say that Jesus says, stop judging each other, is the same to say Jesus is saying, stop helping each other. You see someone struggling with oxygen? How dare you? How dare you say they need to breathe? Don't put masks on people. That's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is saying, how can you possibly help them if you can't breathe? I mean, if this thing is blinding you, you can't see clearly to help them. The issue is vision. Right? The issue is being able to see clearly. That's what he says. He says, if you have a log in your own eye, you need to remove it first, verse 5, and then you will see clearly to take, take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so it's not just an issue of hypocrisy, is it? It's not just the fact that, well, how can you help somebody if you struggle with the same thing? Well, do as I do, and don't, you know, do as I say, and don't do as I do. That's not just the issue. The issue is also your inability to help them. You can't help somebody conquer a sin if you don't know how to conquer it. You can't help somebody kick alcohol if you're, if you're an alcoholic. You can't help somebody conquer pornography if you're clicking every night on, the, on those sites. You can't help somebody tone down their violent temper if you're kicking holes in the wall every other evening. 
How could you help them? You don't know the path. You don't know the way. You don't know what victory is like. You can't help them breathe if you're suffocating yourself. And so what Jesus is saying is, get the log out, not so that you can now climb on a platform and look down on everybody and look at my speckless life and all of you get in line. No, it's now that I can see, right? Now that that thing is out of my face, now I can help people. Which is a a huge difference from judgmentalism, right? Jesus says, you know, he wants you to judge one another, but not to be judgy. (laughs) I mean, for lack of a better term, there's, there's judging someone and then there's judgmentalism. One is the hypocrisy and one is the intent to help someone. One is the oxygen mask. One is, let me get this out so I can see clearly to help you get this out. You know, if you have a friend that's struggling, struggling with a sin, and this vice, every time this sin comes knocking, this person keeps tripping up, are you really a friend if you just ignore it? You just say, man, I know in my heart of hearts that this sin is killing this person. This is, this is making this person stumble. It's destroying this person. But, hey, who am I to judge? No, as a friend, you want to come alongside and say, hey, I can help you with this. The problem is you can't say that if you wrestle with the same exact thing. You can't point that out and say, hey, let me help you get that out if the issue is the same with you. That doesn't mean you can't get together and pray together and encourage each other, but I think this is an issue of blindness. You know, that person is having a hard time seeing because the speck is in the eye, and maybe they don't see that it's a problem, and they need to be confronted about the problem. Now, when you confront somebody about a problem, the first reaction is going to be, how dare you talk about me? Look at you. And they'll just volley back like three or four things that tick them off about you. Um, So not everyone's ready to receive a word, right? Not everyone's ready to just, oh, let's talk about the stuff that I do wrong. Let's, Let's talk about that. That's never a comfortable conversation. That's never comfortable. But it's going to be really bad if they, the first thing they notice is that you've got the same issue. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to be receptive to your help if you're hung up on the same things, right? And so what he says is, uh, see to it. See to it that you remove the log out of your own eye. First take that out. Verse, verse 5, first take that out. And then you'll see clearly, take the speck out of your brother's eye. So two clarifications. And the first is that, like I just was hinting at, Jesus is not saying that you now get to be the professional speck inspector. Okay? Where you're the church, you're the professional church speck inspector, and then we put you on the front of the bulletin, Pastor Lucas, Minister of Music, Mike, speck inspector. You know, and then put your name there. What's that person do? Well, this person, this person walks around the church and points out the things that are wrong with you. And we ordain them as that person because obviously they're speckless. And so they get to be the speck inspector. Right. Obviously, Jesus isn't saying that. Why? Because somebody who does that, right, who wants to make a job. You know what my part of the body is? I know we have some are preachers and some are musicians and some are welcomers and some are like small group leaders and stuff. I just, I just walk around with a white glove and just show the dirt on everybody. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just go up to people and say, here's where you're messed up because I enjoy it and I'm good at it. Obviously, the Lord has gifted me in that. It's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? 
because the reason why I know that is because the intent behind helping one another is to help. And that doesn't help. That doesn't help to walk around and tell everybody how bad they are while you walk around and feel high and mighty. And, you know, that doesn't help. The goal is to get that speck out of the person's eye. The goal is to say, hey, I want you to be able to see clearly. Not to stick somebody in a corner of condemnation. Right? We're not slapping cuffs. We're not going around tagging people with scarlet letters and like, look, you're a sinner of this kind. You're a sinner of that kind. You're a sinner. Don't associate with them because they're... No, the hope is to help each other and get each other to the point of health where they can now see clearly. Right? So a person who's doing this right wouldn't want to be a professional spec inspector. You wouldn't want to be that. You wouldn't want to be labeled at that. You would cringe at that because that person is not helpful. You want to help. The second clarification is Jesus is not saying be perfect first. Um, you know, be perfect, clean out everything in your life, make sure that uh, you know, with every breath that you breathe, a prayer is lifted up and make sure that you're in constant communion with God and that you're almost floating above the ground. Make sure all of Scripture is memorized, you know, because if you memorize 98% of Scripture, what, you're saying the other 2% isn't good enough, isn't worth your time to memorize that other 2%? So memorize 100%, memorize all of it, you know, and just perfect. Just be a perfect floating person that when you walk into the room, everyone just grows a set of wings just to cover their eyes with because you're so holy and they have to put a veil over your face because you're blinding everybody. And then you can point out something wrong in somebody's life. Well, that just logically wouldn't make sense, right? Because the whole Bible tells us we're not, we don't reach perfection until we get there. You know, until we're finally in glory and, and the Lord gives us new bodies and everything, we're not going to be at that place of perfection. Paul said himself, I'm striving for it, but I've not yet attained it, obviously, and so it can't be that Jesus is saying clean up everything and make sure everything is perfect. But I think he is saying two things. One, make sure you've got victory in that issue. Right? If, you, if you're struggling with the same issue, have victory in it first. That's okay if you did struggle with it. Right? That's okay if you went through an adulterous affair. You went through it. Somehow God miraculously brought you out of it. And here you are healed and you understand how rotten that was. And you're in a different place now. And now you see your sister contemplating doing that thing with that guy that's not her husband. You better step in there. Just don't do it if you're still back here and you're doing the same thing. And it's okay if you do it, but I just don't want you to do it. That, that, that's not helpful. That doesn't work. Get your oxygen first. Come to a place where you're able to breathe, see clearly, and then, yes, yes, approach that person. But it doesn't mean your whole life is perfect. It means that at least on that issue that you're trying to help them with, you've experienced some victory. Does that make sense? Victory is to be had in, in Jesus Christ. There's no vice, there's no issue where you're like, you know what, my grandfather did it, my father did it, I do it. So what are you going to do? No. Those spiritual genetics, that can change. That's what transformation is all about. Transformation isn't putting your name on a membership roster at a church. Transformation is from the inside out, like what Jesus is teaching. And so it's possible. You can experience victory in that thing that you feel kicked around in. And when you do, you'll be able to help others that haven't seen victory in that area yet. And so he's not saying be perfect. He's saying get that issue straightened out. The other thing is don't have any outstanding debt with God. You know when we pass around the communion tray and I say, hey, if you're not a believer, don't partake. 
You know, because that's just, in God's view, disrespectful, to put it lightly. If you're a believer, but you have something that uh, God has between you and him, like he's pointing you out, he's calling you out, he's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, there's this issue, there's this issue in your life, and I'm not pleased with it, and you're just ignoring it, and there's like beef, right, between you and the Lord, then don't partake, because then you, you eat and you drink judgment on yourself. Okay, we get that from Paul's letters to the ch- church in Corinth. In the same way, Paul's not saying, be perfect, and then you can have communion. He's not saying, be perfect. He's saying, don't have any outstanding issues that is obvious. God is calling you out on this, and you're just ignoring it. You're fighting it. I would say that person is not in the same place, is not in the place to help a person with a speck. It may not be the same speck or the same log, but you have something outstanding that you're ignoring God on. I'm not listening to you, God. La, 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 la. Don't talk to me about this sin, Jesus. Leave me alone. But I'll, I'll tell this person they need to respond to it, even if it's a different issue. You're unresponsive and you want someone to be responsive to the Lord, that's not going to work. And so I would say don't have any outstanding debt. Don't have any logs, obvious logs hanging out of your eye. It's not to say that you're perfect, but don't have any outstanding debt between you and the Lord where you're, you're um, ignoring it, but you still want to point out specks in other people's eyes because you still can't help. Right? You're resisting repentance and asking someone else to repent. Can't do it. But if you're repentant, hey, you know, that friend can come back to you and say, hey, you're not perfect. Look at A, B, and C. You're right. You're right. I hate those things, and I know I mess up sometimes. But I see this as a pattern in your life, and I see that it's hurting you, and I want to help. Right? But not, well, I'm the, I'm the inspector, so take these two pills and be quiet. No, it's I want to help you. And that's a major difference. And I think if the world saw that in us, they would see a big difference from the perception that they have that we're all about rules and bashing people over the head with our rules and we don't care about people. Right? God made rules and standards because he loves us. He disciplines the son and the daughter that he loves. And so it goes back to love. Now, with that said, the goal is to help. The goal is always to help. If you're going to judge somebody... Right? If you're going to judge somebody, meaning you point something out that's wrong, your goal is always to help them. Your goal isn't to put them down, make them feel less than you. That's never the goal. That's judgmentalism. That's hypocrisy. That's Pharisees. The goal is to help. That's being a brother. That's being a sister. There's one more way that I know that Jesus is saying, I do want you to judge. I do want you to call people out. I do. And it's this really strange verse in verse 6. It's awkward. You know, as a pastor, I get the question a lot. What does this verse mean? Let's read it and see if you think it's as weird as I do. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Hmm. Thanks, God. Let's just go to the next thing. Ask and it will be given to you. I mean, what do we do with that verse? It's just like inserted there. It's awkward. It sounds like a proverb. The symbolism is out of nowhere. We were talking about specks, but now he's talking about dogs and pearls. Like, what, is, what does this mean? Um, the best way to interpret a verse that's weird, when you come across a verse that's weird, is look at the verses around it. Okay? More often than not, the verses before it and after it are going to make some sense. And either before it or after it, they're going to shed some light on the weird one. And then, oh, now it's not so weird. But if you just take verse 6 by itself 
and put it on the fridge or tattoo it on your arm or whatever, and people look at it, they're going to go, what? What does that mean? No context, right? Just like the sports athlete that says like 18 comments, but the reporter takes one comment and then does a headline with it. Oh, he hates his coach. I didn't say I hated my coach. Look at all I said before it and after, you know, out of context, right? Okay, so let's look at the context. He just finished talking about judging people. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. The wrong way to judge somebody is when you've got stuff that needs judging yourself. The wrong way to judge somebody is to try to judge somebody with a measuring stick. But hey, if you hold that measuring stick up to yourself, you don't measure up either. That's the wrong way to judge somebody. The right way to judge somebody is, oh man, I hold the, the Lord's standard. Yes, I'm meeting that standard by His grace. I'm not perfect, but I'm consistently experiencing victory. I'm meeting the standard that the Lord has in my life. And now I can see clearly to help somebody also experience that victory, which is good and victorious, right? It's great. I want you to experience that. That's the right way to judge somebody, to help somebody. The right way and the wrong way. And then after he does that, he says, now there's going to be times where you approach somebody. You approach someone and you say you're judging them the right way. You've experienced victory in this area. You want them to experience victory in this area. But they're like, shut up. Oh, that was harsh. Like, that was mean. Until so you wait a little bit, you know, and then, you, you know, you just let it cool down a little bit. And then you come back like, hey. Remember that thing? I know you hate talking about it, and I do too. I mean, it's just really awkward. I just wish we could just go to the movies and, and then go, go get ice cream and then just go our separate ways and just pretend this stuff. But, but I just see this tearing you down. Are you bringing this topic up again? Because I'm telling you, we can't be friends if you're just going to keep throwing this in my face. I'm not throwing it in your face. I just want to tell you how I, I experience victory. I want you to experience victory too. Oh, be quiet. You try that a couple times, and they're just unreceptive. And you say, you know, the Bible says, oh, don't tell me what the Bible says. You know, the three Sundays ago, one of the top, one of the premier preachers in the world, Lucas O'Neill, he said, <laughs> and they go, oh, don't tell me the pastor said. Right? What they're telling you is, I don't care what God says. And if you're going to be a voice for God in my life, get out. That's what they're saying. Again, you're, if you're not coming at them like, hey, I'm perfect, so sit down and let me, of course they're going to react that way. But I mean, if you're coming the way Jesus said you should come, and you're going to them the way Jesus said you should go to them, and you're trying to help them. Look, I wasn't able to breathe either, but this mask, only provided by Jesus Christ, is the only way you can get breath, catch your breath, experience victory. I want you to put this mask on. Get that mask out of my face. Right? They're rejecting Something holy, something that is the word of the Lord, something that's grace, that's only offered in Jesus Christ. And you're like a beggar who found food and you're trying to get that food to the other starving person. Look, I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm trying to condemn you. We're all going to starve to death if we don't get the bread of life. Here's some bread. Just try a morsel. Taste. He's good. And let it get that food out of my face. They're trampling what is holy. It's like taking something real holy and just throwing it in front of pigs. You know, take pearls and, and put it in front of pigs. You think they're going to go, oh, and nuzzle it and wear it and like look each other in the mirror? They're going to trample it. It's just going to end up in the mud. So what is he saying when he says, now that I taught you how to judge and how not to judge, don't give to dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them on their foot and do what? Turn to attack you. 
Why would they attack you? They feel attacked by you. You want to talk about Jesus? They're not with Jesus. What are you saying? They're going to hell? Yes, that is what you're saying. If the person is unsaved, well, then they're going to turn and attack you. See, you hypocritical Christians, you're always throwing stuff around. You're acting like you're perfect. Hey, hey, whoa. <laughs> I'm not acting like I'm perfect. In fact, I've experienced people turn and attack me when I didn't even judge them. I didn't even judge them. They just felt judged automatically. I was sitting with some friends. Uh, this happened a couple times. I was just talking about one experience. Sitting with some friends. And they said, oh, let's, go, let's all go watch this movie. And uh, Tina and I are like, well, uh, we don't want to watch that movie. Why not? Well, you know, we looked it up on this like, website that, that kind of gives you a breakdown of why it's rated R. And it's got some sexual stuff. And, you know, we just don't watch sexual stuff. We just, to me, to us, you know, that's just something we don't want to struggle with. We don't need those images in our minds. And so we'll take a pass. I mean, is there another movie you could watch? Ah, ah, ah. And then it was like five minutes of like, oh, you know, cracking jokes. Like, oh, because oh, they don't watch movies. <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, why do I feel persecuted right now? <laughs> I mean, this is a Christian brother, right? And, and his wife. And then we're sitting down and we're friends. And, and, and he's, oh. And then he would bring it up in other conversations, right? Like next time we hang out. Oh, oh I guess we shouldn't watch a movie. You know, I mean, it's just bringing it up in a sort of ribbing fashion, right? Like just kind of poking at us for having a standard. And I told him, hey, I didn't tell you you need to have our standard. I didn't say, and that's why everyone should have the same standard, although I think it's wise, but I didn't say anything to you, man. I didn't tell you, and you shouldn't either. I didn't say that. You wanted me to do something that I'm not comfortable doing, and when I said no, you're turning the heat on me. What is that? And then he shut up. Because the only way to go down that path is to expose his own insecurity about the fact that he doesn't have a standard that he should have. He felt attacked, so he went on the attack. There's going to be people in your life that when you come alongside them and you say, hey, I want to help you, I want to give this to you, this is grace, this is the Lord's standard in this area, this is how you put barriers around your life so that you do things the way the Lord wants them to do them. I didn't have those barriers before, but I was, by God's grace, able to establish them. Here's how you do that. And they're like, oh, be quiet. Get out of my face with that. He's saying... There comes a time where you don't give it to them. You don't continue picking up the phone. Hey, I just want to talk about that adultery thing again. You do drop it. You do drop it. Um, I was on the phone with a relative. I was at Moody. And it just, this person sent me a letter and was asking, what do you think? Should I marry this person? And I'm like, why'd you write me a letter? This was just really awkward. There was a lot of awkward things. And then, I, and then I wrote back, and I said, no, I don't think you should marry this person. I mean, to be completely transparent, I don't think you understand what marriage is or what marriage is about. I think you need to take a time out and get back with the Lord and let him make you into the man you're supposed to be, and then maybe think about marriage. But this is, like, all messed up. I tried to make it as loving as I could. Never got a response. So then I picked up the phone. Hey, uh, uh, this marriage thing, I mean... I try to give you my opinion. I try to, you know, tell you what the, what the Lord thinks, what the Bible thinks. Yeah, but, you know, and then excuses and all kinds of beating around the bush and everything like that. And then I felt like we're in a little bit of a, a tug of war. I'm like, yeah, but the Bible says this. And he's like, yeah, but I'm interpreting it this other way. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not right because the other verse says this. And he's like, yeah, but I don't really care what verses say. And I'm like, yeah, but you need to get with the Lord. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay with the Lord. And I just started feeling tired, right, and frustrated not an audible voice, but I just really felt the impression of the Holy Spirit 
drop it. This isn't your fight. This is mine. Hey, hey, I love you. I love you. All right? Okay, all right. We'll talk later. And I never brought it up again. Because that tug of war is not between me and that person. That tug of war is between that person and God. I try to come alongside the person and help, but they turn and it wasn't a malicious attack, but it was very defensive. And that fits the category. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if you see somebody wrestling with something, help them. First, make sure you're helped first. Then, see clearly to help them. However, there's going to be cases when people refuse help, move on. I'll deal with them, basically. Right? That's between me and them. That's not what he says explicitly here. That's what I think the Council of Scripture says. Right? And so, you're on a quest to help people, and some people won't be helped. But in order to help them, Help yourself first. I want to look at three verses real quick. We're going to put them on the screen that shed light on this. All right? And the first one is James chapter 5. Listen to what James says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and brings him back, someone wanders from the truth and you bring them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, if somebody's wandering from the faith and you go and bring them back, how in the world can you possibly go and bring them back without some kind of judgment, without some kind of confrontation? I mean, you're going to go hang out and play Xbox all day and then they're just going to look at you like, hey, it just dawned on me. I should go back to church. No. It's going to be like, hey, hey, in between matches or whatever, let's put NFL Madden down for a second and let's talk for a second, Okay. Because, man, I'm really concerned about something. I'm really concerned about this issue in your life. You have to. By God's grace, if they go, man, you're right. You're right. I've been ignoring it and fighting it. You're so right. Hey, can I just pray with you right now? Yes, please. And then pray. And then, man, I want to see you on church on Sunday. Yes, I'll be there. You brought back that person from wandering. But the only way it could possibly happen is some kind of judgment, right? You made a judgment call. I think you're messed up. There's something messed up. I see a speck. But you did it the right way. And what's the fruit of it? Saving somebody and a cover for a multitude of sins. That's the grace of God. Okay? Let's look at the next one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, right, of any kind of sin, you who are spiritual, you who don't have that same log hanging out of your eye, you who have gotten the oxygen mask first, should restore the person, restore him, in a spirit of gentleness. Again, there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. Gentle approach is the way to do it. Uh, you being spiritual, not you're also a rebellious sinner, that's the way to do it. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, so the warning here is, this person struggles with that sin. Man, you used to really struggle with that sin. Okay, and it's not always the wisest thing to go rescue the alcoholic when they're in the middle of a binge at a bar, and you struggle with it, to go all up in the bar. Hey, I'll just sit down and have one drink with you because I want to talk to you. Man, wait till they're out of there because you need to be careful that you're not brought back into that same state of suffocation. Right? It's like the lifesaver that's trying to jump into the pool to save a drowning person. My uncle was a lifesaver in one of those Brooklyn pools where they, before they put maximum capacity on the chain link fence and just it was like 800 people in there. And, you know, you're, you're swimming like this, like, oh, my goodness, it's refreshing, right? And, you know, you're like sardines in there. He was a lifeguard in one of those situations. 
The only thing that wasn't crowded was the deep end because not everyone knew how to swim. And he talked about one person that was in there in the deep end. And uh, now lifeguards will tell you that if you dive in for a person who's violently flailing about and they might compromise your safety as a lifesaver, wait them out, let them get tired first, right? And so my uncle maybe didn't have the patience. And so he, uh, <laughs> the person started elbowing him and everything. He clocked the person in the face. The person went like that, and he's like, let me help you. <laughs> Not recommended, right? What you're supposed to do is wait it out. This person's flailing. Oh, now they're starting to get tired, and right before they're like, about to drown, then get them because they're not going to hurt you, right? So when you go after someone who's in danger, be careful that you don't start getting specks in your eye, and now there's specks in both of your eyes, and that whole rescue mission failed, okay? Let's look at one more verse. Oh, that's, uh, okay, Jude, Jude 1, 22, which is funny. There's, there's only one chapter in Jude, so Jude, verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So when you go after somebody to, quote, unquote, snatch them out of the fire, they're in trouble. This is something that... Uh, they're going to have to deal with God on this issue. And you don't want them to have to deal with God on this issue. So you go on the rescue mission to try to help them, to try to get the speck out of their eye, to try to get this oxygen mask on them, and you go after them. What you're dealing with is somebody who's operating in the flesh, right? And you have to be careful to not get stained by the same thing. And the way to do that is hate the thing that they're messed up in. Show mercy with fear. In other words, oh, I experienced grace in this, and let's check it out, man. Here's how you deal with alcohol. With fear. Like, hey, man, one sip and I can go back, and I know that. But I'm coming close to you because I want to help you. Mercy with fear. Someone's on the ledge, and you go out on the ledge with them. You're like, this is dumb. What are you thinking of jumping? You're going to be like, hey, man, I want to help you. But you know you're kind of going out on a limb a little bit to help them. He's saying, show mercy, but with fear. And the way to have that fear is to hate that garment, even a garment stained by the flesh. You hate that thing. You hate drunkenness or you hate adultery or you hate whatever the thing is that they're stuck in, but you don't hate them. And if you can clearly communicate to the person, I'm here to help you. I know you hate it too. You're stuck in it. Every time you wake up and this thing comes knocking, you're a slave to this thing. You can have victory over this. I love you. I want to help you. Let me show you the way. But to do it carefully, you show them how this thing is, like, horrid. And we don't want to mess with this, man. This, 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 God is against this. And you don't want to experience a judgment with God. Let's crawl out of this hole. He'll give you the grace to do it. And that's how it's done. So there are other verses, right, all over the Bible that show us that a healthy church, a healthy congregation, does not have a don't ask, don't tell policy. A healthy congregation does not ignore each other's stuff. You deal with your stuff, I'll deal with my stuff, leave me alone. That is not a healthy church. Nor is a healthy church everybody poking at each other. Well, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner too, I hate you. Obviously, that's a horrible situation. A healthy church knows how to point out each other's flaws in a way that helps each other get better as a team. 
right? So you're not going, you're not point guard going, you're shooting guard going, man, you stink. You should be benched. You're saying, hey, I see that your shot is not consistent. I worked on that last season. Can I help you out with that? Because I would love for us to score more points as a team. Big difference. But he's not ignoring the fact that the person has a flaw, and he's not condemning the person for a flaw. It's doing it the right way. And the effect is a stronger team. Right? And so we hate judginess, and we hate confrontation, and we hate awkward conversations, but we have to have them. I mean, if we're really concerned about each other's spirituality, we're really concerned about, about each other's walk with the Lord, and we have to have those conversations. We do. We just have to have them the right way. Last thing before I close. Um, if, for those of you who take notes, you just want to put this down and a little asterisk or a little mark at the end, okay? This only counts... Judging someone the right way only counts when it's a clear biblical mandate. It doesn't work in gray areas. Okay? There are gray areas. I'm sorry. I don't like it. Okay? I don't like it. Um, when I taught at Moody this past semester, uh, we mapped out these passages. And two of the students had passages where Paul talks about, hey, we have different levels of consciences, right? Some people think something is wrong to do, and other people think it's okay to do. And we have to learn how to just get along with each other because they're gray areas. God didn't say yes or no on these particular issues. Right now in your minds, maybe some things are coming up. Um, movies to watch, movies not to watch. Should you even watch TV at all? Um, books to read, books not to read. Uh, how much should you spend versus how much should you save? Not everyone gives the same percentage in this church. Are the people that give higher percentages more spiritual, more holy than the people that give lower percentages? They might f be tempted to feel that way. People that give less might tempt be tempted to feel judged by the other half. And so there's, er there's verses in the Bible that say, hey, there's some things sometimes are gray, and it's not clear. But when it's a clear issue, John is married to Sally, but John is sleeping with, you know, Whomever, names are popping up, but they're people, names of people we know, and I don't want to do that. I need, I need one of those captions. The names are fictional characters, and I don't know. But you get the idea, right? That's like, hey, you're not judging. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying if you believe the Bible and I believe the Bible, and we both worship a God who wrote the Bible, it says it right here, and this is no good for you, right? But it's harder for me to do that if I go, now, look, I dress up a little bit for church, and you come and flip-flop, so this is going to be a problem. Can I go to a verse that says, well, flip-flops in church, right? Can't do it. And that's when, you're, that's when you're definitely judgmental. You're not trying to help somebody. You just want everybody to live your life the way you do. But when things are clear in Scripture, and they say, who are you to judge me? You say, I'm not. I'm not anyone to judge you. But can you explain to me how you justify what you're doing with this? I mean, if you can justify what you're doing with this, then I, get, I, I can see. But isn't it clear isn't it clear right here that you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that? This is what we hold to. I didn't write this. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you down with this, but I thought you were somebody that believed this, right? This is what, this is what pleases the Lord. This is what displeases the Lord. It's, it's clear night and day right here. That's how you approach somebody, and you do it in the areas that are clear, right? Because this is our standard, not how we grew up, not what our favorite things are, not our pet peeves. What's clear in Scripture? And you come alongside the person and show them the grace of God.
You begin with the gospel. All of us deserve to die. All of us should be condemned. And the only reason we're not is because of God's grace. And that's all I want to talk to you about. Experiencing God's grace to get out of this rut. I experienced his grace. I'm experiencing victory. I want you to experience it, experience it as well. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And we're going to close in worship. And um, some of you are on different ends of this. You know, some of you are really wrestling with something and someone has called you out on it. Or maybe someone hasn't called you out on it yet, but you know. You know the, Lord's, the Lord is seeing this issue and he's calling you out on this thing. Use this time of, of singing to repent. You know, if you need uh, a special prayer, you're confused about something, approach me or one of the elders afterwards and we'll talk with you and we'll pray with you. Others of you know somebody that's caught up in something and you haven't said anything because you just don't want to be that judgmental type. But now that you know there's a way to do it without being a hypocrite, and now that you know with all those verses we looked at that you should do it or else you are a hypocrite, Pray this time that God will give you the grace to approach the person with love, that that person would see clearly that you're trying to help them, and that if the person turns and attacks and you just have to back off, that you would have the grace to do that without taking it personally. And just know that Jesus took that attack. That's, that's about Jesus. That's not about me. So you, let's use this time as a time to respond to this word and do what we have to do to be a healthy body of Christ. Let's, let's stand and worship together. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church of Itasca.